Welcome to uh, From the Resort podcast, Queenstown Life. My name is uh, Tim Wilshere, I'm your host. Uh, today we have um, a very special guest, his name is Graham Todd from Todd and Walker Law, one of the founders and also he's uh, a principal. Uh, welcome along to the podcast, Graham here on the 2nd of February 2021. Cheers Tom. Thank you very much for uh, your time uh, this morning, but uh, <clears throat> we would like to start these podcasts. Graham is finding out a bit about where you sort of come from, early life, that sort of thing. So about whereabouts were you born, and what sort of family were you sort of um, uh, born into? Yeah, well, I was raised in Invercargill, the bottom of the South Island of New Zealand. Um, uh, my father was a fitter welder, and my mother a school teacher. Had an I was the youngest in the family. Had uh, an older brother uh, and sister. Uh, came from a background where um, my mother's on my mother's side, um, her father had been sent to New Zealand when he was 13 by himself from England uh, and came to work on an uncle's farm. Uh, he went back uh, to World War I and fought there and then luckily survived that and then met my grandmother who was a seamstress. Um, and they raised five children, uh, four girls and a boy. And interesting, all of them were either university educated or at teachers' college. In the case of my mother, um, on, and um, so brought up in Invercargill, uh, went to uh, James Hargis uh, High School uh, in Invercargill, and then in 1975 was lucky enough to be selected. Um, for an American Field Scholarship, so ended up having a year in Los Angeles in California, which was an incredible experience coming from Invercargill uh, to um, Los Angeles in a school of three and a half thousand students over three classes, three years, so it was a very large school. Uh, came back from that and um, thought, well, I'll go off to university, but I still had six months to burn because I came back in July, so I ended up as a chemist um, at a uh, bottling plant, a, a brewing bottling plant in Invercargill uh, called Southland Distributors, and some people will remember uh, the uh, infamous Southland Bitter uh, that we dealt with, and then went off to university after that in Dunedin. A um, couple of years into uh, my law degree, I thought, well, I'd better find out what lawyers do so I went on knocked on a few doors and managed to get myself a job um, as a law clerk uh, working for a guy by the name of Ian Galloway who was a uh, New Zealand's uh, prominent uh, sports sportscaster at that time and in his spare time also a very good lawyer um, and so worked in Dunedin um, for almost three years while I completed my degree. Yeah okay so that's <laughs> Um, and growing up, I guess, what sort of sports were you uh, in, sort of into and what, did, you, did you sort of play any sport yourself? Yeah, well, um, my parents were, were very heavily involved in sport and um, so we were brought up with a tennis racket in our hand and then I went on to play badminton actually and, and uh, played at a national level and managed to win a national age, grade, uh, age group title in doubles. Uh, it seems a long time ago now when you think about that. Um, but then, you know, played a uh, bit of softball, a bit of cricket, uh, rugby, uh, as most New Zealand boys do, um, and, um, you know, a bit of golf on the side, uh, just mucking around with a few of my mates. But, yeah, uh, pretty active sporting life when I was younger, probably more now 
watching it on TV rather than play a bit of golf, but that's about it. Yeah. And before you sort of got to university, what, were, what did you have any sort of, as a teenager, what was your first job that you remember that you, you may have had? Oh, well, we were very lucky in Southland because um, being an area where there's a lot of primary produce, um, there was great job opportunities. So during my high school years, um, well, my first job was actually working ironically in the store at the camping ground in Queenstown when I was about 11. Um, some family friends had that and I worked here when we were coming up for holidays. Um, and then in my high school years I had a mixture of jobs. I worked in a wool store, um, worked at TY Aluminium Smelter in, uh, uh, near Bluff in Invercargill and then worked at both the Alliance and Ocean Beach Freezing Works um, in the holidays. And, you know, incredible to think now that uh, in 1977, I think we were taking home about $800 a week uh, from the freezing works. And to put that into context, when I went That's to university, I was paying $4.75 for rent. Um, so we were very wealthy students because what we'd do is work hard through the holidays. We would work double shifts. Um, so that you work the normal shift and then on the clean-up shift and then Saturday mornings as well. So you're working um, five and a half days a week but we were and long hours, but we were making big money. And, um, Sounds like it. So we, we had a pretty good life as students because in those days uh, at university, the government also paid you a bursary uh, to go to university. And as I said, rent was very cheap. I think we put in, uh, I think it was $10 a week for food uh, and another ten dollars a week in for um, electricity and, and other and rent, and so you know it was costing us twenty dollars a week to live. Um, and uh, so when you look at those wages in those days, and it was only for about twelve weeks over the summer, but it was good money. Wow, that's that's, that's pretty that's amazing. Um, yeah, no. So Dunedin, not, so that's where we obviously went to, to uni. Um, and I mean, like some people, I mean, it's it. it you started out as obviously a law clerk knocking on doors, as you said, um, and basically that's I guess you've got to get in somehow, and that's that's the sort of way a lot of people get in. They try to do a bit of work experience. They'll try to knock on and start doing admin work, or or you know, sort of down at that sort of level. And then obviously their experiences just get um, you know, built from there. Is that is that a fairly good grounding? I guess as, as sort of coming up. Yeah, it was a great grounding, and, and interesting enough. At the time that I was doing it, there was only two of us law students actually working in law firms. Okay. Um, and the ironical thing, the union at the time that covered law clerks was also the union for the checkout girls at supermarkets. And so uh, whenever they wanted to go on, to stri on strike, we used to have to go along to these meetings and convince them it wasn't a good reason to go on strike because we wanted the experience working uh, in the law firms. But yeah, it was a great experience really and met a lot of really interesting people because um, we always used to get the job as uh, barman at all the law society functions and things like that. So I got to know sort of a generation of lawyers who were ahead of me. Mm. Uh, and then um, we used to do a lot of agency work for Alan McAllister, who was a sole practitioner here in Queenstown. And, and he said to me in my last year, what was I going to do the next year? Uh, and at the time we were thinking of going travelling overseas and he said well how about coming to Queenstown for a year and so I said right come for a year and that was 40 years ago this year um, and I've never left I've, I've certainly managed to get in quite a bit of travel in my later years um, but I missed out on that experience um, 
of having an OE uh, in lieu of uh, having a job up here. And so, and it was a, it was a, my timing was perfect as far as Queenstown was concerned. Queenstown was just starting, really, to um, get some traction as as an international resort, mm. um, and it was a great great place to be and to work. And my parents had a small uh, holiday house here, so I had free rent, um, and so um, it all wasn't too bad in those days. Yeah, so that, that's I mean, I guess most of the people that I've speak, spoken to, I mean, not too many of them. Are, there are, obviously there are out, they're out there, but to be here forty years—that's obviously a testament to how much you sort of enjoy Queenstown and the people and uh, the environment and, and living here. So um, that, that's quite interesting that um, you've, you've been able to experience this for you know quite a long time and and see it grow from you know hardly any people, I guess, to yeah. getting all the tourists and also obviously a lot of you're seeing a lot of um, estate developments over the last forty years. Yeah, well, I think when I came in 1981, we had a permanent population in Queenstown of about two or 3,000 people. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that used to be difficult was you didn't want to go out for lunch um, out of the office because if you went out, um, it took a long time to come back because you basically knew everybody on the street apart from the visitors. Uh, the tourists and um, everybody wanted to have a chat to you about something, or, or, or you wanted to have a chat with them about something. So it took a lot, it took a long time um, to get around the town in those, t- in those days. But it was also um, a really fun place to, to work. Um, a group of us, uh, for a couple of seasons, we used to go into work at six o'clock in the morning, mm. work for a couple of hours, go up and ski for about four yes, hours, yeah. and then be down by one. And then work till seven or eight at night. And yeah. um, the, you know, at one stage, I think I was acting for every ski instructor and lift operator in town um, because they would come down off the mountain and um, you know call into the office and see us. And a, and a lot of a lot of young younger people at those days got an opportunity to get in to buy a section or something in Queenstown. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I was fortunate enough to act for them. And at the same time, the great thing about this place is that you never know who's going to, who or what's going to walk in the door next and what type of work you're going to get. There's a, there's a very, in those days, it was very much a general practice and I was doing a bit of court work, and uh, both in the criminal court and the family court, doing a bit of commercial work, doing overseas investment uh, applications, and, and so a very wide uh, cross-section. Sometimes fellas totally out of a depth and um, mm. was sort of just thrown into the deep end and, and had to swim for it. But um, no, it was a great place to uh, work professionally. So, so to, I guess tell me about how the law firm was 40 years ago. I mean, you sort of came in obviously and, and there was an opportunity here. Uh, what was the law firm like? I mean, how many people worked there and where, where did you sort of fit to start off with? Yeah, well, we were in a very small office in a building that doesn't exist anymore. I think it's, I think possibly in that time, uh, there's been two new buildings built on that site. Um, but there was uh, Alan McAllister, who was the sole practitioner. There was um, one receptionist, uh, sort of a, one assistant and, and me, that was it. Um, and unfortunately, I had the door right beside the entrance and it had a glass window in it. So everybody that came in could see right into my office and see that I was there. So there wasn't any ability to hide. Um, and so I tended to... Uh, if Alan was busy, people would come and see me. So, you know, it was a great way to meet people, great way to pick up work. Um, and, um, 
you know, as I said, I was probably working above my pay grade at the time, but it was a lot of fun. And um, touch wood, um, we haven't made any mistakes in that 40 years. That's been of any major consequence. So, um, you know, it's uh, we've we've got through it all. But um, yeah, it it and it was a great place. Queenstown was a great community um, because there was always interesting people coming and going. It had always had a, sort of a cosmopolitan feel, but at the same time, uh, there was a lot of farmers in those days around the place, true farmers. Um, there's not too many of them left anymore in the Wakatabu Basin. Um, and so, you know, you had this combination that people were mixing in the pub on Friday nights, um, whether they were some high flyer from Sydney or whether one, one of the local farmers or one of the local ski instructors or you know anybody and, and it was a really it was a it had a nice feel to it um, and that sort of flowed into the, the way we practiced law at the time you know there was no computers um, we had the first fax machine in Queenstown um, in fact we had the only second one in the South Island and um, we used to literally have people lining up at reception to use it well, we used to charge a dollar a page and that went into the social fund um, and you know, I can remember still um, getting my first cell phone, which was like a mini suitcase that you used to carry around. Um, and I guess that's one of the things that's been the biggest interest to me is watching Queenstown develop with um, it's really all about communication. So when I first lived here, we had a manual telephone exchange. We actually operated the fax machine off a manual telephone exchange. So what we had to do if we wanted to send a fax, we had to telephone the exchange on the other line and tell them we were about to send a fax because if they were listening and didn't hear anything, they would actually literally disconnect you, they'd pull the plug on you. And then we'd ring them back and tell them, no, the fax has now been sent uh, successfully. <laughs> it was a bit more difficult coming in, um, the, and often, quite often it was uh, being disrupted by the girls not thinking there was anybody on the line, and they would just pull the thing while we were trying to receive to receive a fax. Uh, but that was fun. Um, we had, uh, you know, the days of the word processor, the old Wang, yeah, yeah. Wang word processor, and you had a big cover on it because it made so much noise. You, couldn't concentrate in the office and um, and then we you know the next stage I guess was um, mobile phones uh, then jet aircraft and so used to be that if we wanted to go to Auckland the trip to Auckland was Queenstown, Mount Cook, Mount Cook, Christchurch, Christchurch, Wellington, Wellington, Rotorua, Rotorua, Auckland so it took you nearly the day to get there and uh uh, correspondingly, the, the um, airfares were extremely expensive. Mm. Um, I remember I had to go to Auckland urgently on a transaction um, right before Christmas uh, one year, and the airfare was $1,200 one way to go to Auckland. And at the same time, you could get a return ticket to Los Angeles for $1,200. Um, and so that was a big change when jet aircraft came in and direct flights and then of course subsequent to that mobile phones emails you know the whole lot and and that's meant and queenstown has grown with all that because uh people could get here quicker they could work while they were here they could communicate with the rest of the world while they're here when i first came here you had a telex machine and that was the only means of really or or, or booking an international call that was the only way to communicate with the rest of the world. Wow. 
So that, I mean, that, a lot of that's some interesting uh, insight, I guess, into how things have changed uh, in, in you know in your early years here. Um, all those different things that you mentioned. It does take people back. Um, you know, word processes, fax machines. I mean, that's it's quite crazy to think about. And then obviously you're looking at where technology is now in in 2021. I mean. As far as a law firm and technology now, how do you think you got... I mean, we'll get into, I guess, um, uh, Todd and Walker and how that all sort of started, but I guess we've we'll, sort of been talking a bit about the technology journey. Yeah. Um, I guess, how does your sort of uh, law firm currently use technology? Is everything sort of in the cloud now? Um, yeah, we are. Um, and um, when I went out on my own about 11 years ago and mm. established this firm... Um, I was forced into making a decision about that because I literally couldn't afford a server. <laughs> um, so um, uh, one of my colleagues at the time said, well, look, you know, why don't you use a cloud-based um, function? And there was luckily a guy here in Queenstown that had developed uh, a legal system um, based on the cloud. And so I, I uh, adopted that. Uh, and it's been a huge success. And... Um, I've had to teach myself all about those types of things and then of course there was the social media because I couldn't afford any marketing so I got involved in you know Facebook, LinkedIn, all of those types of things and so um, you know that was a great and a steep learning curve for somebody in the early 50s um, who Mm. hadn't been involved in that. Fortunately for me I had uh, taken typing as an elective uh, back at high school which for some reason I don't know why Possibly there was lots of girls in the class that I enjoyed being around. Um, but, you know, that's held me in good stead um, since that time. But, you know, things things like a library. You know, we used to have a whole room as a library mm. where if you wanted to do some research, and it was limited libraries because the main library for the Law Society was in Dunedin. Mm. Uh, and so we used to have to ask somebody to go down to the library in Dunedin and research a particular thing because there was no such thing as the internet. Yeah. Now all our libraries are all online, um, mm. so we don't have a library in the office at all. Other thing, we don't store any files anymore because we have paperless situation, yeah. or as much as possible is paperless, but at the end of the job, everything gets scanned if it's not already being scanned during the process, and we literally destroy the paper part of it and reuse the plastic sleeve that we use as files. So that's a, you know, that's another example. So yeah, the, the, there are lots. We've just this week um, we're looking at a new phone system, and the hardware alone was going to cost us about thirty thousand yep. dollars for everybody to that, yeah. have a handset. And so one of my younger partners, and that's the that's the beauty of having three partners all under the age of thirty five, was one of them said, "Well, why aren't we using? Everybody's got a mobile phone. Why aren't we just using?" And they're on the mobile phones most of the day anyway. Why don't we use those Mm. rather than a handset? And so our technology people are now looking at how we can adapt the system that we were going to have Mm. rather than having, you know, uh, hard hard, um, handsets. We'll just use our mobile phones. So Mm. those are the types of changes that are going on from a management perspective or the means of practicing law. And then, of course, uh, artificial intelligence is, is... gaining traction extremely quickly. I'm hoping not too quickly that uh, I can actually escape into retirement before uh, before it really takes over uh, because that's going to be the next big step. And uh, 
means by which computers will be able to read documents, analyse documents like we think, and mm. we read them and analyse them currently. And that's happening right now, yeah. um, and to, to various degrees of success. Um, but it's certainly the, the pace that these changes are being made and mm. is, is, is quite incredible. Mm. And just sort of going back a little bit um, now, I guess when you're sort of starting out and, and moving sort of up, um, those early practices that you worked at, um, those sort of general practice? Were, were, yeah, very much. Yeah. you sort of um, specialise in anything in particular or you sort of had to sort of have your hands in lots of different aspects of law. Yeah, well, and I think that was a good grounding, and I certainly did that in my younger years. Um, And then, so I went into partnership 18 months after joining Alan um, as a staff solicitor because I was about to go overseas at that point. He said, well, would you stay if I offered you a partnership? So I was very fortunate that I was a partner uh, at 24, um, which was almost unheard of. And I said to him at the time, well, I actually can't become a partner because you've got to have three years practical experience. And he said, well, I've checked with the Law Society and they'll credit you the time that you spent uh, as a law clerk in Dunedin towards that three years, as long as you can pass a a test with an independent senior practitioner, which fortunately I did. Um, And so we grew that practice to one stage we had 40 um, staff working for us and by that stage I was able to have um, the ability to specialise in things and the very first day that so how I, long did it take to get to that sort of 40 level after uh, about 20 years yeah okay yeah so and yeah. yeah so we had we at one stage uh, in the practice uh, had five partners six partners actually yeah um, and um yeah, so very early in my career, in fact, the first day I was in, in the office, Alan McAllister said to me, oh, look, the planning tribunal, which is now the equivalent of the environment court, um, are sitting um, and we've got a guy that you need to enter an appearance for and off you go and there'll be um, there'll be some other lawyers there and they'll, they'll help you and get through the process. And so I, from then, developed a career doing what was originally town planning, zoning, planning applications, now known as resource management. And I'm lucky enough now to have had probably two or three hundred appearances before the Environment Court, numerous appearances before the High Court uh, in that area of law. I've also, um, and so also sort of specialised in high-end um, property transactions at, with an emphasis on overseas investment. Mm. Um, and. Um, had some colourful characters uh, that I've um, and still do represent um, some interesting people, mm. and uh, yeah, that's a, that's an area because often other lawyers will come to you because you have had that experience and that and in those areas to get them to help out. So it's a nice part of the practice as well. Mm. Yeah. So um, I, I guess, so obviously you've seen. Uh, it, I, do you sort of were there any time over the last forty years? Um, that you sort of uh, were thinking, you obviously had thought about maybe possibly looking at other opportunities outside of Queenstown, um, but is, was, it, was there any time where it was fairly close to happening or you always sort of... No, been... not really. Um, I've, I've had a couple of um, things dangled in front of me and, and you know, would, we think, would I think about that? Um, when I left my practice, that I, the firm that I um, formed with Alan, um, I left them 11 years ago. 
uh, and uh, decided I didn't really know what I was going to do. I think my wife thought I was having a midlife crisis when I came in home, and but I just think I probably need in reflection. I probably just need a bit of a refresh. Um, I've been sort of felt as a bit of a stuck in a rut. Uh, we'd achieved a lot in that firm, yeah. and I and I was probably um, looking for a bit of a new challenge. Um, one of the things at that stage, for the previous 12 years, I'd been acting as general counsel for the Queenstown Lakes District Council mm. um, in, a, in a contractual role, not in house role. And at that time, the council decided that they were going to um, uh, have a panel of lawyers representing them. That, you know, Queenstown was growing and they felt that they needed to have national advice and, uh, from national firms and things like that. And I... My partners at the time said, well, look, we would like to be on the panel. My view was that in a town this size, because it was still relatively small, I think by that stage we were probably ten or 12,000 people, permanent population. And the population is always difficult here because there's always people coming and going, so it's very hard to get a feel for actually how many people are here permanently. Mm. Uh, but anyway, um, so I said, look, I think uh, if you want to do that, I've had my run at acting for the council, I think I'll go and do something else and so that's when I went uh, and I subsequently decided I wanted to stay in Queenstown and um, so I set up, uh, I went out on my own with one staff member um, and then 10 years later we've now got about 28 uh, and interesting enough about 22 of those have got legal qualifications either as lawyers uh, or legal executives or in the case of our practice manager she's got a law degree but has never practiced as a lawyer. Um, and so that's been an interesting time and as I said a few years ago I started to think well this thing's starting to gain some momentum um, how am I going to get out of this at the other end so I better uh, find my succession plan um, and so uh, Michael Walker joined me and, and Michael uh, was an Invercargill boy as well I knew his father who's a lawyer uh, and um, he and I had a lot of things in common and, and a lot of things which weren't in common. He's a very much an a outdoor pursuit uh, type guy, multi-sporter, he's into his fishing. And Is he a senior of the Trails Trust or something? Yes, he's chairman of the Trails yeah, Trust chairman, now. Yeah. 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 And so uh, Michael joined me in practice and then uh, last year, um, on the 1st of April, which wasn't great timing, given we were in uh, lockdown at yes, the time, we were just coming out of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were joined by Pete Sygrove, who um, Michael had known from University Days at Otago, mm-hmm. um, and had been practicing with one of the national firms in Auckland, and he mm. came down and, and joined us. And then Lou Denton, Louise Denton, who's an extremely competent uh, criminal lawyer, um, she became the first female partner, which was fantastic. So, so we've now got as I said before, four partners, three of whom are under 35. We've got four people out of 28 that are over 40. So it's very much a young firm, which I'm, like, yeah. I'm really enjoying. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. And um, we're just going through a bit of a baby boom at the moment. Uh, we're on, we seem to be on a revolving door with a young professional woman coming and going on maternity leave. But that's, you know, that's an exciting dimension as well. So Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, it's, that's really, really good. Um, I, I just talk a bit about Queenstown and I guess what, what a lot of people, from, you know, sort of looking in and, and doing, starting to do research on Queenstown, they see that, that real estate is one of those things that's, um, you know, I mean, ever since I've started looking at um, 
that, you know, I guess five years ago um, when Queenstown first piqued my interest. Um, the price of real estate is relatively expensive in comparison to the rest of the country, um, except maybe for Auckland. But um, what do you think about the real estate that is so valuable here in, in Queenstown that people, um, you know, pay a premium for it and, um, and, and obviously people have to have, you know, the, the backing in order to be able to, 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 to make those decisions to, to invest? Yeah, well, I think you've got to start that Queenstown is probably one of only two truly all-year-round resort towns in the Southern Hemisphere. The other one is a place called Bariloche in uh, Argentina, which is very, very similar to Queenstown, apart from the architecture, because there's a very heavily German influence there. A lot of Germans uh, ended up there after World War II. And, um, but Bariloche has a ski area, it's on a lake, it's surrounded by mountains. Have you been there before? Yes, I have. We... Um, we were lucky enough to host a Rotary Exchange student um, from Bariloche and then we went back and visited her family um, uh, a few years ago now. Uh, that's the first point. And so we have a lot of people that want to, who are based in Southeast Asia in particular, a lot of expats who want to come down here skiing in the winter and, and, and then we have a lot of uh, domestic tourists that want to come here in the summer as well as international tourists uh, who come later in the summer generally from February through to April um, so that's number one number two we're very much constrained topographically here there's not a lot of developable land you know we're in a we're surrounded by mountains yep. and the developed land that is here is that and the land that is available is pretty well um, highly valued by both the tourists who come here mm. um, and they come here for the scenery and everything but also once people tend to come they like to protect their own patch and like their own views we all do that and I'm guilty of that as well um, that you know we want to have that nice open vista all around us so we have a very high um, litigation um, rate involved in property development uh, and that's where I do a yes. lot of work in the resource management field. You know, the Environment Court um, used to, uh, for a number of years, um, would be sitting here on a regular basis in, in Queenstown and probably had second or third most sitting days of the whole of New Zealand mm. in a place of permanent population of ten to 15,000 people. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense, but that's one of the reasons why. Uh, and also people are trying to push the boundaries, trying to get subdivisions through, trying to build a little bit higher, and then somebody doesn't like that because their views blocked and all of those types of things. Mm. So that's one of the other reasons. And and so that has meant that there is a, um, a very low rate of supply of land, but a very high demand at the same time, because especially over the last um, five or six years, we've seen a massive increase in our population on a relative basis. It's one yep. of the fastest yep. growing regions in Australasia. Where we're sitting here now, the five mile centre, there was nothing here five no, years ago. No, Absolutely wasn't. nothing at all. Um, and so that's the rate of change that we're seeing. And so um, it, so there's that, there's that big issue of supply and demand. There's a big issue of even in terms of what supply there is, it takes a long time for it to come to fruition. Mm. And so we have clients entering into contracts where they may not get title for a year. Mm. Uh, and that creates yes. all sorts of pressures because they've got to then go and rent something in the meantime. causes pressures for yep. them financially because they're paying for rent 
and also try to save to build a house at the same time. So, and yeah, the, the so it, it's a some would call it a perfect storm. Uh, if you were a pure real estate person, you would say this is the place to be because and you know over forty years that I've been here, we've had a couple of blips, but um, not too many where the bottom has dropped out of it. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah we see, certainly see a. a Readjustment, but we don't yeah. necessarily see a, a major correction. Right. And um, and I, to be honest, um, I think once these borders open again, and what has gone on in the world, particularly in the United States and Europe politically, um, we're going to see a lot of people wanting to come and live in New Zealand. And a lot of those people will want to come and live in the Southern Lakes, whether it's Queenstown, Wanaka, yeah. the Mackenzie Country, um, Tiana. But it, there'll be... I think a real um, gold rush in terms of that happening. Yeah. So in the forty years that you've been here, obviously Queenstown, you can really look at it in about maybe five or six different areas now. Um, which area have you lived in? Most of the different areas, or are you sort of stuck to one particular area? Yeah. Well, my parents, as I said earlier, they had a little holiday house up in the camping ground, so that's yeah. where I started. Mm. And interestingly enough, that holiday house has only just in the last year been removed, along with all of them. Mm. Uh, for a redevelopment called the Lakeview Development, which is proposed up there. Um, I then, uh, my first house uh, that I bought here, I bought a section originally, uh, and the late Joe O'Connell, who was a councillor in charge of the council's disposal of land, was very encouraging of getting young permanent people into properties. Um, And so he convinced me to buy a section up in what is called the commonage area, the first stage of the commonage. And I said to Joe, look, I don't think I've got enough for a deposit. He said, you got a credit card? And I said, yeah. So my deposit was paid by a credit card uh, to buy that section. But I doubled my money in seven months, so it wasn't a bad situation. And I then bought a house in town. Uh, and then um, my wife and I moved out into the country where my children were raised and then uh, our marriage split up and I moved back and I moved to Wanaka for a couple of years to open an office for the, our firm at that time, a branch office, and then came back to Queenstown, lived in, uh, lived in the downtown, right in the downtown part of Queenstown, we could walk down for a coffee. Yep. Uh, unfortunately, Queenstown is orientated to the south, so you don't get a lot of sun in the winter. Um, and so we then moved back out into the country, my wife and I. And just last week we've sold that and we're moving in Daratown. Uh, and so... So what, when you talk about the country, what are you talking about specifically? We've got two acres um, yeah. at, up on Slope Hill. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah. And Lower Shotover, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. So we've just sold that and we're moving into Aratown and, and really the reason for that is we like the village feel of Aratown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Aratown's got the advantage that other than Millbrook Resort, which is close by, it yes. doesn't have a lot of accommodation. So whilst you get a lot of visitors during the day, at night time the locals quiet. take back um, yeah. they take back the town really. Mm. And I, I like that. And yeah. being able to walk down to the pub or get a coffee or something like that does have an appeal as you get older. No, I can, I can see that. No, no Aratown is one of those places that, I mean, um, not very far you know, from here and, uh, you know, beautiful place, beautiful little, you know, strip. Yeah, and it's also got a very strong local residence group um, who okay. have fought very hard over the years to preserve Aratown for what it is mm. um, and also to ensure that it doesn't keep growing. 
So the our town has an urban growth boundary around it, which is uh, I've recently been involved in a case which was for a subdivision just outside that urban growth boundary, and the locals weren't happy about it um, in terms of seeing something like that go. Uh, unfortunately, um, one of the um, reti- local retirement villages has was established just outside the urban growth boundary under the special housing um, area um, legislation. Uh, and so that's probably um, opened the door a little bit for something to happen. But generally, it's very tightly held. And that and it's, that causes some problems because the real estate values have gone through the roof, making it difficult for younger people to buy into, in, buy into Aratown, which they want to do because <coughs> the kids can still walk to school and, and do all those things. It's a very safe community. Mm. Uh, and anyway, so yeah, that's that's our la- latest and possibly not sure if it's our last move, but uh, certainly we're very happy to be going there. No, that's really good. So, um, what sort of connections have you had with the? I mean, the, I think what I've noticed here, the Chamber of Commerce is a fairly strong Chamber of Commerce. Have you had sort of yep. uh, much to, to do with them over the? the yeah, we have, um, and it is. You're right. It's a very strong chamber, um, and I think that's part and parcel of. Um, there's a lot of new people coming into town, set up businesses. It's a good way for them to connect mm. with the local community. And the chamber has been very, very, we've been lucky. It's been very, very well run. There's been yeah. some good CEOs. They have good functions, mm. good socialising, good good um, educational um, things, and very good political support, mm. especially last year when um, you know, things were a bit tough um, mm. when COVID first struck. And, I, and, and it's going to get tougher. There's no question yeah. about that. The next few months are going to be pretty defining for Queenstown, I think. Um, but yeah, the Chamber's very good. We're a major sponsor of the uh, business awards that the Chamber has. We actually okay. just yesterday uh, renewed our sponsorship for this year's business awards to be held in October. But I've been involved in numerous sporting clubs. Um, I managed a, a junior rugby team here in the 80s. A number of those guys are now still living in town and are my clients. So, you know, I used to keep them out of jail by having to take them out on Saturday nights. But um, now um, they've all been, they've, a lot of them have been highly successful in, in their different fields. So I was involved in that. I was involved in JC's, Rotary Club. Yep. I've been involved in the golf clubs, which I still am. Um, and so I think it's important. You know, it's one of those towns that's important and you're expected to almost be involved in those, especially in, in former years, not so much now. Yep. But you were certainly involved and expected to be involved in a service club or something like that. And they've done a huge amount for these communities, the various and, and very strong service clubs that exist in this town. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I've joined the Rotary Club since I moved here. Yeah. That very, seems to be, membership numbers are very, very strong in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and always felt sort of well-rounded. There's always lots of different projects that they can certainly get involved in. And as we as said, we've sort of alluded to the Chamber as to how, how good they, that yeah. that is for Queenstown as well. So they're, the, they're, the, they're certainly the things. Um, I mean, Graham, it, it sounds like you've, um, you've, you've enjoyed, you know, obviously um, being part of this this community in Queenstown for such a long time, and it's been great to to listen to your, um, you know, a lot of a lot of pieces of your story. Um, I think it's quite interesting, and you've got a law firm here where, as you said, you're the the elder statesman. Um, <laughs> you've got the uh, um, 
I'm, I'm often called other names, I can assure you. <laughs> Most of them behind my back, I think. But uh, no, I've been very, very lucky. Um, I came at the right time and I've uh, been involved and witnessed and watched some pretty exciting things that have happened. Some things I thought that's never going to be successful. And lo and behold, you know, um, uh, look what happens. And um, But it's a fun place to be and we're very lucky to have a good airport. We can get out of here because I think... Especially in the early days, I always used to say Queenstown was very claustrophobic, both socially and physically, with the mountains. And it's nice to get out on a long beach somewhere and um, mm. get your get your feet amongst the sand and, and warmer water because the lake here can be pretty cold. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's not so bad socially anymore. It used to be that everybody knew everybody's business. Um, and that was a good thing sometimes when people were trying to find you. The girls on the telephone exchange used to actually ring round. And uh, if, they, if somebody said, oh, no, Graham's out, out in the restaurant or in town for, a, for the night, they would actually ring around and find out which one you're at if, they, if you needed to be contacted. You know, those days are gone. But, yeah. um, and so socially, it's not like that anymore. And sometimes you feel as though you don't know anybody. You walk into a function. Um, really? And, that, and, but, and then other times, you still walk into a function. and Everyone knows everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's often funerals. Yeah. <laughs> where that happens um, right. that we always say oh we only ever get together now you know to celebrate somebody's life which is a bit sad but you know everybody's very busy here it's very much a seven day a week town um, clients expect you to be available um, you know because they're working seven days a week and if something happens they or there's something going on in their life mm. they don't hesitate to ring in I've, I've never worried about that too much I've learnt to live with it um, Hence the reason very early getting a mobile phone and, and um, we've had children living overseas and things. So, you know, yeah. it's been fine. It's, yeah. it's not a problem. But as I said, I think I've been very, very lucky. No, it sounds like you've been very lucky. But, you know, one, one thing that, that uh, might ring through a bit is, you know, there's got to be some sort of work ethic there. As you said, you, you're there seven days a week. That's, that to me tells me you're, you're a person that, um, you know, is willing to go that extra mile and, 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 and think, you know... Um, uh, I mean, do do clients really always come first? Is, is that the sort of is as a lawyer? Is that the way? Um, yeah, I'd have to say that possibly, especially in my younger years, um, and when my children were young, in particular, that mm. probably was a bit of a problem. Um, that I was trying to build a career, um, build a practice, and possibly I regret that a little bit um, when you look back. But at the same time. Um, I think it is important. People really do rely on you when the chips are down. Um, and what may seem to be a major issue for them is something that we can put them at ease pretty quickly with something. Yes, yes. So I always say to people, look, I'd rather you ring me rather than stewing about something over the weekend. Pick up the phone. I'll tell you if I can't deal with it. But if I can deal with it, I can hopefully sort it for you. Yeah. And it will give you some quick advice that at least is going to alleviate um, your worries or your concerns. So, yeah, to that extent, I don't mind. But it's um, sometimes um, it's hard to get away from the phone um, because you, you make the rod for your own back. But uh, I think it's part of being um, available has been has led to the the fruits of the of the practice and and the things that's going so well. No, I really really appreciate your time here today, Graham. I think it's great. Any sort of final words or 
any final thoughts before we uh, finish up? Well, I think, you know, as far as people looking at Queenstown and thinking about coming to live here, um, you know, it's, it's a fantastic place to live. Um, as long as you make the most of it and you don't sit back and expect people, because people are busy and like their lives are busy, so you've got to get in and roll your sleeves up, get involved in organisations, do those types of things. And look, if somebody's wanting to come thinking about getting a holiday house or something here, can't be better. You've got the wineries, we've got some of the best biking trails around. They're only getting better. We're going to be. It's not going to be long before we can bike to Needham, basically. Um, and uh, as we get older, I've, I've bought myself an electric bike and I'm out on it all the time because I just love it. Um, it's a very good thing socially. Um, and also, I think you get a different perspective when you're riding a bike through the countryside rather than racing past at 100 kilometres an hour. But yeah, no, it's a great community. Um, lots of fun professionally. It's challenging at times, uh, but certainly you get to meet a lot of very interesting people. Excellent. That's uh, been from the Resort Podcast, episode 11. Thank you very much, Graham Todd from Todd and Walker Law. Thank you.